Happy Monday. Welcome to another sneak preview of Filmgasm Productions podcast. We follow the current film calendar. I'm Connor Azagari. I'm Caleb Leger. Today, we got one big movie to discuss, James Wan's new horror flick, Malignant. Uh, I'll also talk a bit about Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, but we will not be discussing Queen Pins, Kate, or Small Engine Repair, because frankly, we didn't see them. There's a lot to see. We're being a bit more choosy now. And the reviews weren't great. In Small Engine Repair's case, it was just really difficult to find. So, yeah, we're doing the best we can. Frank, yeah, and frankly, I literally only watched Malignant. I didn't try on anything else. <laughs> and I had to really hunt the card counter down. That was not, that wasn't easy to find either. And Queen Pins was getting terrible reviews. Kate, terrible reviews. And I just don't, you know, the, the workload on this show, I want to prioritize the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, none of the stuff really really looked good. And I'm currently getting through the Star Trek Discovery series. And I prioritized finishing season two on Friday and trying to watch new movies, which I did. So now I'm on season three. And if you all keep up with uh, Oscar Sunday, you'll know that I've been just neck deep in Scorsese movies for the past week. So that was my priority. Uh, I'm also have uh, some other tests and stuff coming up that I'm kind of focused on this week. So I didn't really try to see a bunch of movies. And I'm in grad school and really not paying much attention to it. I should probably rethink that. That's like underneath the podcast in terms of like my priorities. That's probably not smart. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see where this goes, won't we? Um, before we get into Malignant, let's see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. Got a lot of trailers to talk about to start. We got seven trailers for potentially good movies. First up, The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal as a 911 operator who tries to help a kidnapping in progress. Hits Netflix October 1st. What do you think of this? This one actually was good to me. Um, this looks like a Netflix film. They're trying to actually bring out the guns for once, not just dump it on the service. Um, I usually like Antoine Fuqua. I think that's how you say his name. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't fuck that up, but I usually like his stuff. I usually like Jake Gyllenhaal, so this one looked good. Um, I just hope he showered during the filming. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it seems like it's just him, so probably not. (laughs) Not sure he doesn't have to, you know, scare anyone off so you don't have to worry about his stench, his musk. His musk. Ugh. (laughs) I'm just picturing like a smoky dead rat stink. Imagine that stink. Imagine that stink anytime he took the suit off in Spider Man Far From Home. <laughs> no, um, <that> just <laughs> Anton Fuqua, I've liked a lot of his films, but there's also a lot of his, a few of his films I've not cared for. Um, he did one earlier this year that I watched. I think we talked about it here. Uh, what was it? Um, Infinite. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one. So yeah, that was an Austin episode, and since I'm the only one with Paramount Plus, or at I, least he didn't have Paramount Plus. I was about to say, I got Paramount Plus. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, you're watching Star Trek. You've got Paramount Plus, <laughs> but at the time, like he didn't have Paramount Plus, and I did, and I'm like, well, I don't think you should have to watch this. So I watched it. And I'm like, this is fucking dog shit. So Anton Fuqua is kind of a hit or miss guy at this point with me. He he doesn't really beat uh beat off the path of his 
type of film. Like he very much does his style of film in anything he does. Yeah. And it works in some cases. In other cases, it does not work at all. Yeah, I agree. But like, I love Training Day. I love Southpaw, The Equalizer. So he's got some hits. So maybe this will be good. And I, I do like Jake Gyllenhaal, despite his hygiene habits. And I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt. It's Netflix, easy, easily accessible. And while they are just green lighting everything, I, I, I would love to see what they turn down. My God. I if anything. Know. I don't know, you know how much I laughed at the South Park joke when they called Netflix and got Thierry to approve. I thought there's no way it works like that. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. I don't want to do that. I kind of want to just call Netflix and pitch some random shit off the top of my head and see if I get a contract out of it. I feel like it is that easy. I feel like it is. And I feel like they really have a, a, a machine that just prints out money. So it's the only way they can just keep fucking making these movies. Got to be. Uh, so The Guilty, October 1st. Next, we got a new trailer for Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. It's theaters October 29th. Uh, a little bit more plot info with this trailer. Uh, I've loved everything Edgar Wright's done. I'm 100% on board with this one. Yeah, same. I mean, this really changed my mind about something else I'm excited to see. Uh, I know Blaze Scuzzy just uploaded a review for the movie, actually, because it's playing over at TIFF. They liked it. Um, I won't go into details because I don't spoil. Well, it's not really spoiling anything this early, but yeah, they liked it. And um, like you, I've loved everything Edgar Wright has done. So I'm, I'm excited for this. I think what impresses me most about Edgar Wright, honestly, are his editing skills. Like, what he can do, like the way he matches, you know, especially Baby Driver, matching the moments to the music cues is fucking impressive. And I'm curious to see if he does something similar with Last Night in Soho. But like, yeah. I love the Cornetto trilogy. Like he's he's a favorite of mine. So I'm I'm psyched for this. You mentioned uh, his editing skills. You could actually point to Cornetto trilogy big time with those. Like the way he edits certain jokes. Yeah. And like repeat stuff that it makes you laugh. It's fucking excellent in that whole entire trilogy. Oh, yeah. Especially in Hot Fuzz. That movie is full of Easter eggs, and I find something new every time I watch it. Oh, yeah. I always, I honestly always, it's a hard one to pick which one I like the most in that trilogy. And it kind of fluctuates it. from day to day. They're all three tens for me. I, all three of those are great. Yeah. I freaking, I love all three of those movies. I love, and yeah, I like you. I love Baby Driver, but it is, Heard to watch some of the scene, the lines of dialogue with the uh, Kevin Spacey and allegations that are pretty true, but I'm not going to say they're true or not because I don't want to go missing. Um, you, mean, you mean you're uncomfortable when Kevin Spacey says he was blinded by the balls on that kid? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, me too. Or when he says, "That's my baby," and I'm like, "Oh, oh." The only Spacey film I've watched since the allegations is American Beauty, and that was for Oscar Sunday. And honestly, it was tough. It's a great movie, but it was tough to kind of just see him again, knowing all the evil shit he's most likely done. Yeah, it's one of those things like don't worry, like I can separate artists from art. Like I still love the first two Cheapers Creepers. I'm fully aware of the monster Victor Southwest, but I like the first two movies. Yeah, but there's just something like in Baby Driver. Like I said, whenever he's not making those lines of dialogue, I'm actually fine. It's just he makes those like lines of dialogue. So the character is portrayed as, I believe, a teenager in the movie, if I recall correctly, in Baby Driver. Yeah. Um, and the allegations that are happening with them, and it's like, ooh, it's 
I know that wasn't obviously Edgar Wright's intent. It was obviously no one knew about that shit when he wrote the movie, but it does just, it's weird to watch. It's, it's hard to watch sometimes when you're saying that stuff. I think the freakiest thing is just how many people did know about that shit. I don't, I'm not saying Edgar Wright did, but it's not like this was a secret in Hollywood. It was just people didn't care. Yeah. They were just like, whatever. But that's not for now. That's the next time we're going to do a Kevin Spacey movie, which will probably happen. I mean, you know, especially on Oscar Sunday. Say what you want about the guy. He was in some amazing movies. Yeah. I mean, he has some, I mean, seven alone. I love him in seven. Seven. Uh, what was the comedy I'm thinking of? Horrible Bosses. He cracks me up so much. He's horrible bosses. <laughs> That's 20-year-old Scotch. You don't expect me to just pour it back in the bottle, do you? <laughs> it's 10 o'clock. I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> it's okay. We'll just chop that up to your drinking problem. God. I am, I am so sorry that you call your grandma Gam Gam. <laughs> oh, what a piece of shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. You know, it's hard to enjoy these movies, but we're going to try. You know, one thing I've learned with Roman Polanski is you've got to separate the men from the work or you're never going to be able to enjoy anything. Yeah. <sighs> um, next up, Come On, Come On, an A24 drama starring Joaquin Phoenix as a journalist who goes on a road trip with his young son. Does not yet have a wide release date. Uh, blatant Oscar bait. Uh but I, I kind of like Oscar bait. And A24, when they, they're doing a straightforward drama, usually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give this one a shot. I actually, mainly because I like Joaquin Phoenix so much. Yeah. And so, I mean, the last time he gave us an actual straightforward drama, I'm not counting Joker. I know it's a drama, but it's also a superhero film, ultimately, which is weird to say that, but... It's a comic book film. It's not a superhero. Yeah, it's a comic book movie, yeah. So... Straightforward Trauma, I believe, was her was the last one I watched. So I think that came out after The Master, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that came out after The Master. Yeah. And I really, I liked I liked it a lot. It was a weird movie, but I really liked it. I mean, the dude's just a really talented actor, and he alone is always amazing to watch. So, Yeah, I agree. I got no beef with this film. Uh, I'll see it because I have a feeling it's going to make a splash. You know, we're in awards season now. Shit's going to get dramatic. And, you know, this is my jam. It's my fucking Super Bowl. Here we go. So we're going to be covering a lot of drama on this show for the next few months. You know, we're also like, we're not only, we're going to do Halloween kills and, you know, shit like that. It's not going away. But I am going to be talking about these dramas. And I promise I'll do everything in my power to bring the same level of excitement. (laughs) If you can bring that level of excitement to it, we'll be just fine. Boy, I can't wait. If <laughs> if the audience can't tell, the trauma season of the Oscar bait season, whatever season you want to call it, is the one that I'm not as big on as others. Well, that is a shame. Anyway, next, Encounter, an alien invasion flick starring Riz Ahmed and Octavia Spencer, hits Prime Video December 10th. Apparently, after the Tomorrow War, Prime was like, clearly our fan base only likes alien invasion movies, so let's green light that. <sighs> Here we are. <laughs> let's green light this, but we won't take forever to get you season three of The Boys, season three of Tom Clancy, uh, or, sorry, Jack Ryan. 
and then season two of Invincible. Like, we'll take our time on that, but we're going to get you your next fucking alien invasion movie because you guys really liked The Tomorrow War. I think Sound of Metal was a prime movie, too. So I think they've got a good relationship with Riz Ahmed. Yeah. Uh, And this looks interesting. Could go either way. Yeah, this one I'm 50-50 on. I actually honestly forgot. I was like, it kind of did I watch that trailer. Because, again, if anyone doesn't know, like, Wednesday and Thursday can go fuck themselves on the day of trailers. Jesus Christ. Between the PlayStation Showcase and movies having to drop every trailer in two days. But but, uh, I remember, now it's coming back to me. I remember thinking, okay, this can, like you said, this this is one that can go either way. Because it doesn't look like your typical invasion film. Like, it's not going for the big spectacle. Maybe. I did. I liked seeing um, Academy Award nominee Riz Ahmed on screen. That was that was nice. I like I mean, that title. He did get nominated. Any? I need actually. I'm actually interested in seeing the Sound of Metal. Like, that one. That's one I think I would like. Sound of Metal was great. It was such a cool idea. Very well executed. The uh, sound editing is amazing, and the performances are fantastic. It's a really really good movie. Okay. Um, next up, my son a super creative thriller starring James McAvoy and Claire Foy. It's Peacock uh, this Wednesday, September 15th. And this looks so weird because I there, there's never been a film like this made ever. It's, uh, did you catch this trailer? No, I have not. This is one that slipped past. So you don't know what the big like hullabaloo is, do you? No. James McAvoy was never given a script. The movie is 100% improvised. He finds out the big twist as like the same time we do. So he's as in the dark as the audience is the entire time. I'm intrigued. It's like a choose your own adventure movie. Is it like a legit choose your own adventure? Like the, uh, the banner snatch movie was, or like it's a typical movie, but we're experiencing everything with the main actor. That that's what it is. Okay. I need to talk to Josh when we're done and see, because I'm using his account. <laughs> so I need to see if he has it to where that's something that we can watch on there because it's whatever he's paying for, whatever on Peacock. Well, if you have an issue, like if you have an issue at all, I've got Peacock too. So just reach out and I'll give you my, my information. Okay. Um, so I'm intrigued. For, I, I love James McAvoy to death. I think he's one of the most underappreciated actors working today. Oh. 100% and it's sounding like I just need to fucking get Peacock. I was really holding out. I was like, this is going to be nothing, but apparently it's going to be something. It's something. It's given me, you know, already another movie, you know, Apple TV is giving me what, two this year? Yeah, so. Apple TV fucking flopped. And also, I'm, I'm, I got interested in Peacock when I heard the rumor. It's not confirmed by any means, but the rumors of uh, Rob Zombie's new film being a Peacock movie. At the very least, you can watch all three seasons of Mr. Mercedes. Oh, I've been wanting to watch that. Yeah. That, I've only seen the first season, but it is. Oh, my God. Is it good? Yeah, I heard. I think if I read correctly, they, they swapped the second and third book order. Yeah. Season two is end of watch. Season three is finders keepers. OK, I wonder why they did that. Oh. I think for fit like for the, the readers, it's cool to see Bill Hodges have adventures. But in, you know, on TV. It's weird to just leave out Brady Hartsfield for a season and then go back to him. That so I get they want to finish yeah. that that sh- like story and then do you know kind and of an epilogue. Yeah, because really like Finders Keepers like 
I guess spoilers for anyone who fucking hasn't read the books. Um, you could really, if they rewrite it right, you could do it for like, you know, you could do the actual ending of um, End of Watch and then still actually do the complete story of Finders Keepers just without Bill Hodges. That's true. But like, would it be as good? It depends on your writer and showrunner and all that stuff. It really depends on the people involved in the project. That's true. I mean, they did. The, did you get to see The Outsider yet? Yeah, yeah, I did. I really like that. I thought my that, you know, my hmm? end, I thought the end was kind of like felt a little rushed. I felt that with the book too, though. Fair enough. Yeah. But that's also, you know, that's got the Mercedes connection that worked without having to connect it to Mr. Mercedes because for reasons, I mean, they could have, but they didn't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I might have to just fight the bullet and get Peacock because everything's going to Peacock. Um, I'm on. I'm thinking fresh. I just actually finished to be on issue four last night. They switched when I read the whole um, Saga of the Seven Gates. So I read, you know, Gates of Hell, House by the Cemetery, and Beyond. As we all know in the movie trilogy, air quotes for those that don't accept it as a trilogy, I understand the reasoning. I know it kind of got the trilogy thing later on in its time. I don't but, care. Yeah. <laughs> Small so for Josh. I'm waiting for the text now. I'll wait for the text later. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when it came out, it was City of the Living Dead, um, Beyond, and then House. They flipped it in the, in the comic book run. They did Gates of Hell, which is what they called the first one, and then House, and then the Beyond. And now they got uh, Escape coming out. So, cool. It, yeah, it's been done before. Hey, if you, they did it where it works, and it worked really well in a graphic story at all. So they could easily do it for the show if they wanted to. Well, I'm upset that I spent a long time tracking down copies of the Mr. Mercedes seasons because it was on AT&T audience network and really tough to get a hold of. And as soon as I buy season three and my collection is complete, all this shit goes up on Peacock. And I was like, I was really pissed. Yeah. I never I understood when I heard what was coming on. I was like, why is it coming on that? Like who the fuck has that? Nobody. I pirated the first season and I was proud of that. Apparently, yeah, apparently no one has it because they had to put it on Peacock. People would be like, can we stream this? It was so good, but because it was on a bullshit network, nobody saw it. And that's that's a damn shame. It's one of my favorite King adaptations ever. The first season of Mr. Mercedes is perfect. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got to check it out. Especially because, like I said, I got the, la- the currently last season of Star Trek. The full season four comes out later. I am currently, um, I think... I'm catching up with like stuff that's current, like what we what we did in the shadows, the walking dead, but I don't have a show at the moment. I may just do Mercedes again. Finally walk, finish that up. I might do that. Yeah. I might, you know what? Yeah. I'll look into Peacock. I'll still borrow y'all's, but I'll look into Peacock myself. Cause it's once I finish Star Trek, I'm taking a break. Cause all the shows and movies I've been announced for like, you know, Halloween and all that stuff. I want to make sure I can watch all that post Halloween when, Everything dries up and is over. I can def- I should have a little bit more time to find a new show to watch. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Next, don't look up. Adam McKay's new movie about a scientist couple who learn a comet is going to destroy Earth, and they embark on a press tour to talk about it. This looks fantastic, especially the cast that he got: Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep. Ron Perlman, Mark Rylance, Tyler Perry, and Ariana Grande. The fuck? <laughs> yeah, this 
between this and the other, uh, the guilty, I'm having more hope for Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. It's like, okay, they finally saw to pull out the talent that I've been waiting on. But uh, this looks so good. I was dying laughing when they first were in the White House and Jonah Hill was just making his fucking attack sign where he's like, dude, you're making me nervous. <laughs> uh, this hits Netflix on December 24th, so it's going to be a great Christmas present for all of us. And I just, Adam McKay's track record is so cool. He's done so many hilarious comedies and so many like really poignant kind of slap in the face uh, dramedies like The Big Short and Vice. And you combine that with like Step Brothers, and you got just a really versatile, like intriguing filmmaker who can kind of do anything. Yeah, I remember when I first was hearing that he was doing like the big short, and I was like, I don't know, the guy that did Step Brothers, like that comedic director, like. But then I heard how good that movie was and how much different it was. And I was like, oh, it's kind of like a Todd Phillips when he did, you know, Joker. And I was like, oh shit, okay, the guy who did the Hangover can do something else. Yeah. Adam McKay won a screenplay Oscar for the big short. And then he did Vice, which I think was underappreciated. And I think Don't Look Up is going to make big waves at the Oscars. I, I can honestly say this one did look good to me, and I will be checking it out. I was I was laughing at a lot of the scenes in the trailer. <laughs> this Leo in the bathroom just like <sighs> hyperventilating because he just found out the world's going to end. <laughs> Great no teaser. One, yeah, and no one's taking him seriously in that office. <laughs> You know how many end of the world calls we get every week? Like, of course he's going to go on a press tour. No one's going to fucking believe them. This, this is going to be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. And finally, the big one this week, The Matrix Resurrections. Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss return as Neo and Trinity in an undisclosed plot. It's theaters and HBO Max on December 22nd. And this looks neat, but at the same time, I have my apprehension. I'm, I'm not... 100% sold on a fourth Matrix movie. I'm trying to stay more open-minded. I'm mostly with you because as I've said before, I just, I do not like Reloaded. I don't like Revolutions. So like the idea of a fourth one was just like, uh, but this trailer looked interesting enough. It looks like they're doing that smart route of like, let's go back most of the first movie that people liked and build a base there, which has proven to be a pretty consistent good thing to do. When it comes to like bringing a movie back that has some questionable sequels in its catalog, so but do we need another Matrix? And also, just without getting too heavy into it, with how people are nowadays with the political fucking landscape, how many more people are going to act really fucking stupid when this movie comes out with their goddamn theories? Oh, like the the philosophical shit and the yeah, of course. Um. I think it's weird that Keanu Reeves didn't like shave his beard or do his hair differently because he's also filming John Wick 4. So clearly that was his priority. (laughs) Um, I don't know. You know, maybe this will surprise us. But right now I'm I'm holding my breath. Yeah, I have hope the fact that Keanu Reeves is in it. Um, I have hope when it comes to him doing a sequel that is good because obviously minus two Matrix sequels, he gave us the Bill Ted movies and he did turn down Speed 2 because he thought the script was stupid. So he does have a decent eye for, like, doing a sequel that interests him. You know what I mean? True, but my grandparents gave, um, gave me a great point where they said that Keanu is such a nice guy and the Wachowskis haven't had a hit in God knows how long that he might just be doing this to help them out. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about this. Yeah. You know, the guy, the 
the gals who gave him a career need a need a win. Lily comes oh. to him and says, "Hey, I'm making a fourth Matrix. I could use a leg up." And he's like, "Sure." Why I thought not? it was I thought it was Lana doing this one. I don't fuck. I I don't know. I I I don't know that I I didn't know. I can't tell. It's only one that was not both. Just so right. you know. I, I know, and that that also gives me like, uh, did the other one say this is shit? I don't want to do this. So the other one did an interview. They asked the they asked her why, or like, if you don't mind giving us an answer, like, why weren't you interested in coming back to the fourth Matrix movie? Mm-hmm. And she basically said, like, I think it was it was talked about fresh off her transition, like she had just gotten out of surgery and everything, and she was like, there was loss of mom, my personal life, and. Just creatively, I don't want to go back. I want to move forward, much like she's doing personally, right? She's moving yeah. forward, coming more into who she is as a person and her gender and all that stuff. She doesn't want to go back, which I get. I understand that ideal. Like, I don't want to repeat. I want to do something new. It is Lana who's doing the movie, not Lily. So that's my bad. Okay. But also, what does that say about Lana, who's like, I want to go back to the first movie. I want to do that again. It it's tough because I mean if that's the case, how many movies would we not have if we didn't go back? I mean, you know, like Halloween twenty eighteen, right? Like they weren't they were very keen on getting John Carpenter's approval for that script to make that movie. So he technically went back on a what a forty plus year career to say like yeah I like this movie a lot I want to score to be actively involved and we had like the highest grossing Halloween film in the entire series so it's like. It, I don't think it's completely bad to go back. I think if you have a good and interesting story to tell and a franchise that you created to begin with, then, you know, do it. But if this is just like a way to admit, like you said, since the first Matrix, minus their two sequels, they really haven't had a huge hit outside of this series. So is it like a thing for at least one of them to just be like, let's go back and try to get this hit. And if we get Keanu Reeves involved, that's even better. Because admittedly, Lawrence Fishburne's not involved. So what did he say in the script to not want to be involved? Well, I think he's not involved because there is a story reason why Morpheus is a younger man. Oh, did you not know that? No. Candyman guy is playing Morpheus. I saw that. Yeah. But he's put that they said that there's a reason he's a he's a younger man, why he's not Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, okay. I didn't I thought maybe he told them no, and they had to like figure something out i saw that it was candy man i was like hey well they could be lying they could be trying to cover their ass but i don't know we'll see yeah i i'm trepidatious um this is really this is gonna be a movie that either it gets great reviews and i rush to go see it in theaters or i just say mm, i'll watch on hbo max yeah i'm the same i don't know yet yeah um well those are the trailers let's talk about other stuff Venom, Let There Be Carnage has moved its release date up to October 1st. Uh, Shang-Chi's success, the Spider-Man trailer reception. Sony's starting to think Venom might actually make some money. So they're trying to kind of make it work. Uh, it is only 90 minutes long. So, you know, you can, if this is the only thing you're planning to do that day, you could probably do something else, <laughs> which is unfortunate. I mean, technically, if you look at that release schedule, there's not another big film out that day. I think the Mini Saints of New York is out, but it's also on HBO Max. And as we're kind of seeing here recently with this dual release, which I'll get more into it, Malignant, it is on Hurt the Box Office because a lot of people are just staying home to watch it instead. Well, I feel like 
not a lot of people are going to see the many saints in newark in theaters because to the people who are going to want to watch this the most are seeing this as kind of like a new sopranos and they're going to see this as like you know not a new episode of the show i know i am so if if i wasn't well, i was going to be at that point in time like if i was at my place in virginia I'd, without a doubt, I'd be like, hey, Josh, I'm going to go see Many Saints New York and try to go see in theaters. But because yeah. of where I'll be at that point in my move, I'll probably end up watching it on HBO Max. I might too, now that Venom's coming out that same weekend. I might have to make some decisions. Yeah. Um, Halloween Kills is going to be debuting on Peacock the same day it comes out in theaters on October 15th, which is uh, could be considered smart or stupid, depending on who you're talking to, really. It's, it's a risky move. Um, for On one hand, I'm really excited. I know that a lot of people want to have access to this movie that probably wouldn't want to go to theaters or a lot of stuff. But at the same time, like this is a movie that I, I kind of felt like of all the different horror films coming out, it was going to be fine at the box office, yeah. being theatrical only, just because of how much people like the 2018 one, how much the build-up and excitement for this one has been. I felt like this one was going to be fine. But I get, I, I get, I understand the move so. Yeah, so do I. Uh, so yeah, I um, I'm, I was always planning on seeing this in theaters. That was never an option for me. This is this oh, yeah. is an event. This is the event of October. I'm gonna be there. I I've already given my parents a heads up that's come now. I'm like I'm seeing this in theaters. Like where is a the theater near your house? Um. Interested to hear what you have to say about this. Christopher Nolan is in talks with various studios to do a film about the Manhattan Project because uh, he won't work with Warner Brothers anymore after the Tenet debacle that he created. Uh, so a new Christopher Nolan movie? Okay, I'm interested. Manhattan Project, very interested. But also, he's kind of a bitch. So where are we standing on this? I was gonna say I'll let you talk, and then I will. <laughs> or am I good to go now? Yeah. Why his ideal for this movie is very interesting to me. This is something about we don't talk about a lot in history. Um, so I am intrigued with the uh, story idea in the movie. He is a snobbish prick that's acting like a fucking child. Gee, right. what do you really think? So sorry. That you try to be the guy that to save the cinema during the height of the pandemic when there were some fucking vaccines out and wouldn't work with Warner Brothers at all because you were adamant it comes out in theaters and then you threw a hissy fit because no one watched your fucking movie because people were scared to go out. And now I do, want, you to, have, I do want to say I did see it in theaters. I mean, I'm glad you saw it. But point is, I have yet to watch. I haven't even watched it on HBO Max. I know it's on there. <laughs> Um, but and then to act like this, the point that you're shopping around because a studio was trying to find a way to get people to watch your movie and still make some kind of money off it, but you didn't want to play ball. This is not I for once, not Warner Bros. fault. This is all Nolan's fault. You're acting like a fucking child, Nolan. Oof, yeah. Uh I'm, I'm glad I'm get- you did you think of me when you read that article? You're like, oh, God, Caleb's going to have something to say about this. Every fucking time I hear Christopher Nolan did anything, I think of you now. <laughs> but the Manhattan Project, like you said, it's 
part of American history that's not often talked about, you know, the building of the atom bomb. And I would very much like to see a biopic on that. So I'm torn here. Yeah. Like I said, the movie I do. And then the other thing for me is that personally, I know you were a fan. I know you, uh, you like Dunkirk, correct? I did. Yes. Okay. Me personally. And I didn't really like Dunkirk and I've heard Tenet is a lot of the same thing where it's like, no one really knows what the fuck's going on in that story. So I'm Tenet like, is like, if you had problems following Inception, buckle your fucking seatbelts. Tenet is a, is a mind fuck and a half. And that's not a compliment, <laughs> but not like I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. So yeah, I, I'll, I will watch it. He, there's still a lot of Nolan movies. I like again, separating art from ours. He makes a lot of great movies. Personally, I wasn't into Dunkirk. I was kind of, I was bored throughout the movie. Again, that's just me personally. I'll give Tan a chance and see if like it's either a mind fuck that I fall in love with or it's so far up his ass I just get turned off. Like I'll find out some at some point. I've seen following to Tenet and I liked all of them. So he's a great filmmaker, but just he really did just show his true colors as kind of a little snot, you know, sniveling little weasel with this whole, you know. My movie's more important than a pandemic. Meh. Right. My movie's more important than people's lives. Yeah. Like, if you're going to die in a theater, die in my theater. <laughs> and it's like, no, no. I, look, I love movies. I love reading. I love video games. And I love, you know, metal music. I ain't dying for any of those four fucking things. <laughs> There's more important shit out there than I'm not dying for that. I was going to die for a movie. Probably ain't going to be Tenet. But... <laughs> You know, something else. If it's really good, I don't know. <laughs> not tenant though. I'm not dying for an eight. <laughs> I'll die for a ten, but I'm not dying for an eight. I would die for John Wick before I die <laughs> for a Nolan movie. Ah, <laughs> oh, um, this is interesting. William Sadler tweeted that he is involved in the Salem's Lot remake. Uh, his role is currently unknown. And I just love that. His track record with King is beautiful. Yeah, and it's, it's real. Inside. I've always liked the guy since I was a kid and saw Demon Knight. Um, so I've always liked him, and I can't wait to see him in this. I wonder if because he tweeted, and they're not saying who he's played, if maybe he is secretly Barlow, because they haven't confirmed that. I like the actor playing it. Like, we know, obviously, he's going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. They haven't confirmed the actor, so I wonder if they're keeping that hush-hush, and maybe it's really Sadler. What do you think about that? You think he's a, a good choice for that? I think so. He, I think he's a lot more talented than like apparently Hollywood does because I think he's a very underrated actor. Um, and I think he could pull it off. He's been in some stuff where he kind of doesn't play the good guy as much as I've seen where he does nail it and he's really good. Yeah, look at the mist. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I, everything I keep hearing about that movie just gets me more excited. I really want to see this. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is shaping up to be a. I got scared from it after like the Pet Cemetery remake came out that like the King Renaissance that we were literally just getting was about to like deflate just as quickly because like that didn't do great. Technically, in Chapter Two made less money than the first movie. No one went to go see Doctor Sleep, which I'm so pissed about because that was a good fucking movie. Yeah. Then <laughs> Castle Rock got canceled. Yeah, Cast Rock Guy came after two. After to me, a season two that was way better than season one. Yeah, like 
And it was like, oh, shit, are we losing it? But apparently they're just slowing down. I guess they thought, no, eh, we went a little too fast. We'll slow down and take our time. So there's a lot of stuff announced. I know they got Christine coming out, a fire starter. I believe I remember Cujo getting announced, but I, I may be wrong on that. Cujo. All right. So <laughs> they were going to make a Cujo movie where he's like a robot dog experiment who escapes an army base. And Cujo is like an acronym for like cybernetic some shit. King saw that and was like, are you fucking kidding me? And took it away from them. <laughs> All right. That wasn't a police man. That wasn't a Blumhouse movie. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think so. Okay. I was like, those guys are doing like two King adaptations right now. Three. I don't know if they're involved with Sam's lot. Um, but yeah, we have, uh, we got some, you know, they're still doing it. We got, it's still going. It's just going at more steady pace. I think it's a good idea. We don't want to, you know, oversaturate the market. You know, we still we still want to look forward to these. So I'm I'm on board. Whatever they can do to make these better films, do it. Yeah, I'm down. I, I'm really liking the how this movie's shaping up. So next up, Andy Garcia has joined the cast of the Expendables Four. Because why not? <laughs> they're, they're not wasting time, man. They got Greenland and they are fucking it's like Stallone was just sitting there with all his uh, suicide squad, King Shark money going, come on. Hurry up. But, like, everyone who's joining it aren't action stars. That's like, what kills me. Megan Fox, 50 Cent, fucking Andy Garcia. I wonder if, uh, well, I know Bruce Willis probably wouldn't be interested to come back because he's kind of a he's kind of a dick a lot more recently, it seems. Um, Schwarzenegger made his comments publicly, and I don't know if that's causing some backlash to get him casted. I don't know. Um, I'm surprised they haven't approached like, you know, John Cena or Batista or I know they've wanted Jackie Chan for years. Yeah, but he's pretty much like retired. I don't think he's coming out of that for them. That's true. Um, I'm surprised they haven't asked The Rock of all people. He's too big for this. If they wanted like a, a Viagra boost to this franchise, they know to get him. Has Statham been confirmed? Because he's been in like all three. Apparently, him and Stallone love each other. Stallone, Statham, Dolph Lundgren, and Randy Couture are all coming back. Okay, I will say at least we got Statham. That's good. I'll take that. Yeah, I really hope this is rated R and is good. That'll be a nice change of pace. Yeah, I hope if it's as it was originally talked about, it's supposed to be the final one in this franchise that he does what he uh, what he did with Creed and Rocky and all them go out with a bang. I'm not going to say Rambo because I kind of thought that last one was okay at best. Still haven't watched Last Blood. I've heard terrible things. It's, uh, it's like, uh, you know how, like, to me, like, the fourth Rambo had a great mixture of just fucking hardcore in-your-face action, but mm-hmm. a pretty, like, good story to follow? They took out the story part. Like, it's like the studios just chopped the story part out of it and kept, like, the gore action and then had him go to Mexico and kill a bunch of Mexicans, which in today's climate looks really bad. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, maybe it'll pop up on our new show. <laughs> maybe the show that we're still not confirmed for you guys. You got to wait. Yeah. You know, it's no fun if you peek at your Christmas presents. You got, you know, you got to wait. You got to wait a little bit. Like I use Christmas presents in September. <laughs> I think my family. <laughs> my mom starts Christmas like fucking August. No, oh my god. Not like decorations, but like buying presents and like hides oh, them. Yeah, no, that. we're very strict about decorations in our house. 
I was about to murder. I was like, I no, love no. you, Connor. Don't you tell me this. Christmas a- decorations go up December 1st and they go down January 1st. Okay. Because I'd be like, this is going to be a strike on, on your family who I love very much. Yeah, we're, we're sane, I promise. <laughs> um, so now on, uh, we're going to end on three unfortunate deaths this week. Uh, first up, French New Wave actor Jean-Paul Belmondo has died at 88 years old. He was known for his lead role in the 1966 Jean-Luc Godard film Breathless, among other films. And I know that some members of this team adore that movie. I fucking despise it. I know which uh, one you're talking about, and I'm also very sorry to say this, Austin, but I saw this film in film school, and I thought it was okay. I saw this film in three different classes. I was so pissed. They kept This and Blade Runner kept fucking following me. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I just, I hate this film so much. Um, but still, sad he's dead. Yeah, very sad. Like, you know, it, not my kind of movie. I wasn't really into it. But, you know, there was a talent there. And he was very he was very good in that movie. And what he did for, like, the French cinema and really cinema in general moving forward can't, you know, that can't be ignored. So it's, it's a pretty, it's a significant loss. Yes, indeed. Um, next up, Greek actor Michael Constantine has passed at 94 years old. He was known mostly for his role as Gus Portakalos, aka the Windex Dad, in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and as vengeful gypsy Tazdu Lemke in Thinner. Uh, yeah, you ever see My Big Fat Greek Wedding? No, I have not. I've seen like bits and pieces on TV because my aunt has a DVD. I yeah. should put it on whenever it was on TV, but I have not seen it all the way through. My family will randomly trap me into watching rom-coms because it's like one of the few genres of film I can't stand. And I end up watching it. I, I like this one though, but there's the guy, the grandpa of the family believes Windex to be like a cure-all. He'll spray it on like wounds and shit, like on, you know, anything. If there's a problem, spray it with Windex. <laughs> and it's really funny. <laughs> uh, and then as, you know, the, 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 the bad guy in Thinner, uh, just a creep, but you get it. Thinner is, I think, one of King's most underappreciated stories because the movie adaptation was so poorly done. Also, I've, I haven't seen the movie adaptation, but I've read the book and I really like the book. It's a great book. Great book. And the movie, admittedly, is pretty on point with the book. It's just the fat suit is so freaking bad. That's really what it comes down to. It was 96. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. And also, what I do remember is that one of the actors from Criminal Minds, like one of the detectives in Criminal Minds plays like a mob boss, like the mob boss character in that, which it's hard to see that guy in that role if he's playing a... Joe Mantegna, right? Yes. Yeah, Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I hear when I hear him talk. <laughs> I didn't know he was Fat Tony. I, I know the guy from... My mom used to watch Criminal Minds and he's one, he would play one of the detectives for, I think, most of that fucking show. I can't remember if he was on like the whole show or I want to say a good chunk. So it's hard for me to see him in that kind of role because I'm used to him playing the standard TV detective with a heart of gold. Well, in the movie, he's so one note, like, hey, you know, if you need something, come to me. I can help you. Like, very kind of, I don't want to say poorly written, but maybe a bit of a stereotype. Yeah, especially coming out in 96. I mean, you're coming off, like, at that point, there were some pretty big hitters and like, you know, crime films that gave us iconic characters. So the right one, you know, like that in 96. Yeah. 
but honestly, I didn't think it was that bad. I, when I saw it, I gave it a seven. I didn't think it was terrible. I just thought, you know, not one of the best King movies, and I get why people don't like it. Um, finally, veteran character actor Michael K. Williams died suddenly at 54 years old uh, from a drug overdose. Williams was known mostly for his iconic role of Omar Little on The Wire and as Chalky White on Boardwalk Empire. He also appeared in such films as 12 Years a Slave, Motherless Brooklyn, Inherent Vice, The Purge, Anarchy, and Bringing Out the Dead, among many others. His death was a giant shock to the industry and to his many fans. Uh, yeah, we did. We um, Austin got to say a little bit about him on Oscar Sunday this past week. And uh, yeah, we, we wanted to say something here. This was a huge shock. He was uh, one of those guys just seems like he's been around forever. Yeah. One of those like very respected character actors in the industry who had his demons. And unfortunately, those demons, they won. Yeah, uh, I, I wasn't expecting this when uh, Austin sent us a text. Because, um, like, you know, he was one of those character actors. I remember anytime I saw him something, he was always like, oh, dude, this guy's in it. It's going to be good. Because he always, anything I saw him in, Bart always gave a great performance. Never once I don't, I don't recall seeing a single bad performance from this guy. Yeah. Um, and especially because I had just recently this year watched Lovecraft Country, which he's in, and he was good in that. I think he got his fifth Emmy nomination from that show. Not just that, but he apparently was projected to win. God damn. Yeah, I, I can see it because he was good. Like he that show had a lot of good actors, but he really stood out. And yeah, I mean, this this guy was a talent always reliable and to hear his death which from what it sounds like it is was just shocking and it's always sad when like you have someone of such talent and respect in this industry and unfortunately their demons catch up to them it's always sad yeah it's a damn shame you know it reminds me of philip seymour hoffman and river phoenix and all these unfortunate souls we've lost way too early because of just fucking drugs and it's never going to stop it's a damn shame. And um, yeah, he's one of those guys we're never going to, we're never going to forget. Yeah. And especially like, you know, I've, you know, obviously when this stuff gets recorded, you see, they always post like what other actors and stuff are saying I, to, I can't remember the last person that passed away. It's like this magnitude in the industry that had this many people in the industry coming out genuinely shocked. Like it was like, it felt like a moment. Yeah. And like film history just happened here. <sighs> yeah, goddamn shame. Rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. Thanks for the work. Yeah. Uh, before we get into Malignant, I would like to say a little bit about the other film I saw this week, The Card Counter. Um, because of the release of this film, Austin planned a whole Taxi Driver episode for Oscar Sunday, which was nearly three hours long. Check that out. That was a blast. Uh, so the, the other film I was super excited to come on board with, No Hard Feelings. <laughs> kidding uh if you'd been there too we'd still be fucking doing that episode <laughs> um, when it comes to that particular movie and the director stuff, i can actually go on so I, I think he's a very talented fucking director oh it's not we're not done with scorsese he'll be back mm. um paul schrader though has kind of been sort of making taxi driver since the 70s a lot of his films, his screenplays are a similar character like Travis Bickle, who are disillusioned with society, want to do something about it, 
have trouble connecting with people and are haunted by their demons. And Bill in the card counter, I, uh, Oscar Isaac's character is very much that. Uh, it's a decent film. My biggest issue with it was that it was a great gambling movie. Like there's a great gambling movie and there's a great revenge movie, but combine these two ideas and it does not mesh. And that's a shame because the card game sequences in this film are fucking great. Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish have great chemistry. Ty Sheridan is great. Willem Dafoe is criminally underused. And uh, I left there kind of wanting more. Like there's not a lot of closure. Uh, it just kind of ends. And uh, I felt like it could have been better. I gave it a seven. I, I wonder, because he wrote and directed this movie, right? Yes. Has he wrote and, and directed before? I know he's ran several times, but usually like someone like Scorsese comes in and directs. Is this like his first time or one of his few He's times? directed a few. Um, he got his first uh, Oscar nomination in 2017 with uh, First Reformed, which he also directed. Okay. And, uh, that was fantastic. But again, the character Ethan Hawke's character in that is disillusioned with society, wants to change things, has his own demons. It's kind of the same. It's a template he works with. Right. And that's just kind of, you know, I want to see something else. I saw Taxi Driver. I don't want to see it again and again and again. I want to see something else. So, yeah, whatever. I mean, if you can find it, go see it. It's not a terrible movie. I want to wait till it's on VOD. But, uh, yeah, car counter. Yeah, I'll hold off. I'll just watch Taxi Driver again. <laughs> you watch it like five times and you've seen Paul Schrader's entire career pretty much. <laughs> just like watch it in a church, watch it in a casino. and Watch it in New York. Yeah. <laughs> in a taxi. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Malignant is horror legend James Wan's long-awaited return to the director's chair of a horror movie. He's the guy who directed Saw, Insidious, and the first two Conjuring movies, as well as Furious 7 and Aquaman. He's set to direct Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And uh, he's kind of the go-to guy these days for really original, freaky horror movies, like big-budget Hollywood horror movies. And as soon as he left the Conjuring franchise, all hell broke loose, and part three was awful. <laughs> yeah. It, is this my first time being able to really talk about James Wan on the show, I believe? Yeah, I don't think he really came up on Conjuring 3 because it wasn't his movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, you know, he's really made a name for himself in horror in a very big way. I mean, he came out with Saw, which no, I don't think anyone saw the monster. Like, have you ever looked at, like, the box office of that movie and its budget? It's fucking astronomical. Like, no one expected this to become a huge hit. And it became a franchise that's still going on in Hollywood. And then he had, like, he did have two very underseen films in 2007, like, right after this, Death Sentence and Dead Silence. I can totally admit, I definitely just watched Death Sentence yesterday for the first time. But I have seen Dead Silence before, and I defend that movie. I think it's very underrated of his. Um, but then he turned around and, you know, came back with Insidious, and that became a long-running franchise that, again, is still going. There's a fifth one on the way that Patrick Wilson set to direct it. And then, yeah, yeah. And then um, The Conjuring became like the one of the biggest hit horror films, one of the biggest hit horror franchises. Like, it's like this guy just keeps touching gold. And then when he did step out and he did Furious 7, it became the first, I think the only one that made a billion because I think 8 didn't quite hit it, if I recall correctly. No, eight, 8 did hit it. 
Eight did hit it. I yeah. still did seven do a little bit better though. Oh yeah, seven because you had the whole uh, Paul Walker situation and right. But even yeah. then, like you know, he had the most successful one. I actually think even I know a lot of people went for it because of the death of Paul Walker, but like watch that movie. He did a damn good job of keep assembling a movie with everything against him with that tragic, untimely time uh, moment. Yeah, it's pretty seamless, which is kind of incredible considering he only filmed like half the movie before he died. Yeah, like it's impressive. And then you, then he, you know, signed to the DC, which at the time, you know, it's slowly DC's been getting a little bit better in recent time with their movies, but especially then, you know, he was coming in when we saw the sink of Justice League in our mouth, and he came in with Aquaman, and it made like damn near a billion fucking dollars. People actually really like it. A lot of people enjoy it. Like the guy just he has this ability to just make films that are entertaining that you want to watch. And they're just fucking monster hits. And I remember when he announced he was stepping back to the horror genre for this movie, I got so fucking excited. I think it would have been really cool if Marvel snagged him for blade. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) He would have. Oh shit. Would his movie have been amazing? Uh, Speaking of just a little side Little side thing. Did you see the the picture of Patrick Wilson in Aquaman two? No, I haven't. I've seen the new suit of uh, Jason Momoa. Patrick Wilson is like super shaggy. He's got a giant beard. He's got like a six pack. Like he's he's been in like Atlantean prison or something. So like he's pissed. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I'm kind I'm of actually, excited. Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited for Aquaman. I still like Aquaman. I'm excited to see what he does with the second movie. Yeah, me too. Um. Yeah, I've seen I've, I've I've seen pretty much everything he's done except for Death Sentence. Uh, it actually wasn't bad. Uh, watching it for the first time, I was impressed. Uh, you can see a lot of like the action he's he pulls off in his movie and his more action centric movies, and even some stuff he does with horror. Very evident there. He had like a, a tracking shot. There's a scene where they're chasing Kevin Bacon through a parking garage, and it's one continuous shot. He doesn't cut so it's like and it's on multiple levels levels so he just zooms out of the thing and then goes up then goes back down to show you the uh the guys at the bottom and just keeps doing that all for this really real choreographed action sequence um kevin bacon's great in it so he had like some good talent in it and it has a it's violent like he doesn't hold back on the violence and it's actually one of the few times like this type of film this revenge thriller that really explores the damage it does to the person that goes on this. Like you, it gets, this movie gets so fucking dark and showing you like how this is not a good route for him to go. That's awesome. I'll have to check this out. Uh, yeah. I'm glad he came back to horror and um, this was, this was quite a ride. There's uh, this is one of the weirdest movies I've seen in a long time. It's so like, hard to explain to people without spoiling it. Uh, so we're going to spoil it, obviously, here. I I put, I remember I was telling you, I put my review, you know, Juan made the comment on an interview of two things. One, he wanted to give the audience something new and original because he felt like that's what people were craving. And Good two, job. he wanted to reinvent himself because he said just like, the one, he said one of the reasons he did Conjuring is because he was tired or insidious is that he was tired of being called the Saul guy. So he wanted to do something different. And then he gave us two of the biggest paranormal fucking franchises in horror history. And then 
when he came up with this idea because he was tired of being called the conjuring guy. He's like, I don't want to be that. I want to be, I want to reinvent. So he did malignant. So by all means, keep calling him something because he's going to reinvent himself and we're going to keep getting movies like this out of him. Maybe if we start calling him the Aquaman guy, he'll go to Marvel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he succeeded. Uh, this is definitely original. Um, it's got some minor issues, which I'll get to. But overall, I was not expecting this to be what it was. And I was kind of like, fuck, what? When it happened. Uh, yeah. Don't really get why all of a sudden... Uh, Gabriel is like fucking John Wick in the police station. I don't know where that came from. I was okay with that just because of how cool that was. I didn't get more. Why can he control electricity? What is that? Dude, look, I didn't care. I was like, I felt like this movie was very much James Wan taking all of his influences of Giallo, like even a little bit of the 90s era of horror and that early 2000s with its, to me, a mix of like a Giallo and rock soundtrack meshed together. And saying either you're with me on this ride or you're not. But either way, it's going. And what I've been seeing is that, like, yeah, a lot of non-horror sites are like, what the fuck is this movie? But the horror sites and the horror fans are loving it. It's nothing but, like, I had to watch it. I had to stay offline for a little bit because everyone was like, oh, my God. We didn't get so crazy. And it's all, like, horror fans are losing their minds over this movie. Interesting, because I have my, you know, random beefs with a lot of the horror movies that you and Josh specifically recommend to me. Uh, Actually, the Giallo films also, I have yet to really like one of those, which is unfortunate. Uh, So I'm not sure where I stand on that. I consider myself a horror fan, but I don't know if you guys do. (laughs) I... I feel like I wrote it great to you for this episode, which is you're a horror fan, but you're in that category that just hates so much shit. It's not my fault. I, I have, you know, <laughs> standards. All the other horror fans are like, yeah, we love this. And there's you. It's stupid. It's not The Exorcist. I don't say it's stupid. I just say, like, did we need that? This doesn't make sense or whatever. I don't say they're stupid Look, Some, most of the time. You just have to go along for the ride sometimes. It's not that easy. It, I, I, I like this one. I'll say, you know, I like Malignant. You know, but there, there is a but there. I think that's the key, though, for you, is that understandably you're hooked on story and all that stuff because you, you're a writer. A lot of these movies, and why a lot of horror fans like them, is because to me, Malignant is evident of a lot of the ones like me and Josh and our horror fans like, which is it's going to take you on a ride. It's going to take you on a journey. And so you're going, you're going to go on that journey with it or you're not. And, but the movie doesn't give a shit. It's going to keep fucking going. And I finally came where like for me, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Bring on the ride. Let's do this. As long as I don't have to see some other films again in my life, I'm down for this ride. Yeah. Well, it was certainly a ride. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me a bit of uh, the house and haunted hill remake more than anything else. Yeah, which I, I like that remake, personally. I, I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> I'm the Briggs. <laughs> Don't run me over yet. I'm on your side. <laughs> uh, let's talk the cast. 
Um, Annabelle Wallace stars as Madison Mitchell, who has maybe the most bizarre medical condition ever. Uh, can you imagine mm. if this is how it works, if you like almost had a twin and it's just lurking in your head and can take control of your body whenever it fucking wants to. That is horrifying. Honestly, like I know a lot of people are like, this isn't that scary. I'm like, you're telling me that I know how that thing looked when they revealed it. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, that idea of like what it does for isn't terrifying to you because that's terrifying to me that some medical condition was like my not fully grown turn can just fucking fake reality for me and take over. Yeah. The big thing for me is like at the end of this, there's no way in fuck she's gonna be able to explain this to a jury. She's she's going to prison or she's gonna die. <laughs> she, <laughs> on paper, she killed like 30 cops. Yeah, she killed a lot of cops. Yeah, she's she might not ever make it to a courtroom. She's gonna get gunned down. That's a she's gonna have to go into hiding. Malignant too. She has to go into hiding, <laughs> going underground. Um, I was thinking about the Giallo stuff. Uh, you know, one thing I liked that I, I noticed that like Annabelle Wallace's character really reflected a lot of um at least on what I've seen. Josh, when you listen to this, by all means, correct me. I'll wait for that text as well. <laughs> I always assume now I'm going to get some point of text <laughs> after the episode airs. Um, she was like modeled, what I've seen out of a lot of the Giallo females, like what you see, like that very like white, skinny, beautiful lady with the dark brunette hair. Like yeah. she was very much modeled like that. Yeah, I definitely saw that. Um, I'm glad I have seen some Giallo, so I was able to make some comparisons and kind of notice some of these things, which is nice. Yeah. Um, Wallace played Mia in the first two Annabelle films. So she already had probably, that's probably where James Gunn, I mean, not James Gunn, James Wan met her. Um, She's also appeared in X-Men First Class, The Mummy, the shitty one, Boss Level, and the TV series Peaky Blinders. Uh, So she's had a pretty interesting career. I love it. She's done kind of all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I, I usually like her when she pops up. Like Usually I say, I'm like, oh, okay, I like her. She was in the comedy tag. Oh, yeah. Which was, that was actually a really funny movie. I'll defend that movie. <laughs> I like tag a lot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she was the reporter following them around. She was, she's good. I usually really like her. I thought she was really good in this, too. In X Men First Class, she is the girl with heterochromia that Professor Xavier hits on at the beginning of the movie. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was like, because you said first class, like, who the fuck was she in first class? I was like, it wasn't the Rose Rose Byrne because she was in the scene when Rose Byrne gets like half naked going to the club. I was like, no, that was Rose Byrne that did that scene, not Annabelle Wallace. Nope. Beginning, he's like, you are a mutant and you're a sexy mutant. You want to bang? And Jennifer Lawrence pops up like, hey, I'm his sister. And he's like, and she's like, whoa, you have weird eyes too. And Xavier is like, holy shit, get over here. It's it's a weird it's a weird moment in the movie. <laughs> I love First Class though. That's my favorite X Men movie. That's a great movie. Um, Maddie, La- Maddie Lassen plays Madison's sister, Sydney. Um, she was in God Bless America, I Saw the Light, and the TV series, Mr. Mercedes. So, Oh, that's just a full circle there. Yeah, she plays Hodge's uh, daughter at the, fir- the last few episodes of the uh, first season. Oh, okay. And uh, in God Bless America, I think she was the girl who like latches on to the guy and wants to kill people. <laughs> you ever see God Bless America? I haven't. I've been meaning to. It's a wild fucking movie. Satisfying as hell. 
<laughs> I, I feel like it would be very satisfying to this climate. Oh yeah, honestly, I mean, I can I can hear this being played back in court as I say it. But if I ever end up terminal, not a bad way to spend your last days, <laughs> taking care of some business. <laughs> no, officer, I swear, I was kidding. Uh, <laughs> George Young plays Detective Kikoa Shaw. This is his most high-profile project outside of England. He's an English actor, and I didn't recognize a single damn thing on his resume except for this. Okay, well, I liked him in this. He was good. Yes, he was. Really open-minded. His partner, uh, Nicole Brianna White, plays his partner, Detective Regina Moss. And she's just mean from the get-go for no apparent reason. Just Yeah, she, gosh, she got on my nose. You know what? When she first popped up in the autopsy scene, and she's pointing out, like, oh, blah, 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 with the first death. For a moment there, I was like, Wanda Sykes is in this? Oh, and my God. Like, yeah, and I went, wait, no, that's not Wanda Sykes. Oh the voice, for a second, the voice made me go, I swear oh. to God, in this movie. Yeah, I heard a snippet of the voice and went, is that Wanda Sykes I'm hearing? And then, like, when I looked... Like, oh god, no, it's not, it's not her at all. Oh boy, I don't know what to do with that. Do I? Oh man, do I keep that? Do I take that out? What do I do with that? It's because of her voice. God damn it. Fuck it. You know what? It's not my problem, it's yours. I'm gonna keep it in. <laughs> She's appeared in Volcano, Encino Man, Courage Under Fire, and a lot of TV bit parts over the years. Uh, this is cool. Gymnast Marina Mazepa plays Gabriel in his physical form. All his backwards walking, none of that was CGI. That's this. There's a gymnast that James Wan got who actually did that shit. The fuck? Where do they find these people? How do they find these people? I don't. But I fucking love his dedication to practical effects. Like e- even that, which had to have been just a tall order, he got someone, and um, she appeared in the Unholy and is set to appear in Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Oh, I can't wait for that one. Sorry. I saw those, they, the pics they released. I'm like, oh, God, it looks just like it should. It's <laughs> going back to horror. It's going to be a horror movie, not whatever came out of that film series that we got. I, don't, I have zero emotional attachment to Resident Evil. I never played the games. I saw the first movie a long time ago. Didn't think it was that great. Never saw any of the rest of them. God, I can't wait for this movie. It's going to be horror. It's copying the first two games. They have a screenshot of Lisa. Ah, I can't wait. That's great. Sorry, really excited. <laughs> I know. But I just love that there's an actual like gymnast who can walk, you know, jump backwards, fight backwards, and do all this shit. Yeah, I honestly thought a good chunk of that was CGI. I was like, this has to be CGI. I, I'm sure some of it was. Yeah, probably. Dear God, that the majority of it was the lady that can actually do all this shit backwards. Like, Okay. Malignant has an IMDb score of 6.3, Rotten Tomatoes score of 74%. It's not doing great at the box office. So far, it's grossed only 15 million on a budget of 40 million. And this is owed mostly due to its release on HBO Max and the fact that Shang-Chi is destroying the box office as we speak. You don't go up against Marvel, not even in the second week. I think they sure waited close to October, but 
Yeah, probably. Um, especially because if you look at the release schedules in the next two weeks, there's not exactly a lot coming out. I think they would have been fine. Um, yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. Like, it makes me sad that this probably will not be the huge hit like other Ron films. Like, I don't want this to go down the route of Dead Silence or Dead Sentence, but it looks like that might just be what happens. But I don't, I don't think it necessarily will go down that route, honestly, because what I'm seeing and this kind of like we were talking about, like they need to go back to just theatrical only next year. Absolutely. Is that, you know, like I said, on all my horror pages I'm on, on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, people are freaking out. Like horror fans apparently only fucking saw this movie all weekend. So people, when it saw it, like a lot of people saw it, but because of that HBO Max option, they saw it on HBO Max. I actually think that had it just been theater only, they would have made over 40 because the last time I saw people freaking out about a movie like this was Candyman and that beat its budget and it was theatrical only. Yeah. I think the Israel Max thing really, really killed it. Um, I'm sure Shang Chi did as well. You know, it's so out and that's the more family friendly film to go see. But I just feel like had it, I again, I understand the Israel Max release. I get like that was going to happen regardless of how people are being with the vaccine. Um, but it does kind of suck. But hopefully, like, this will end up being kind of coming, like, essentially Juan's cult classic, which is kind of cool. Like, a director that has huge box office hits and a cult classic would be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, it's interesting to imagine what all these films would look like without the pandemic. It's, you know, something we'll never really know. Yeah, I absolutely stand that I think with his name attached – and the fact that the trailer was smart enough to put his prior films on there. So if kids were like, who's James Bond? The moment trailer goes, Saul, Conjuring, Insidious. You go, oh shit, that guy? Like, I the trailers did a good job of getting people interested in who's doing this, what he's done to get you excited. I think it would have actually, I think it honestly would have been a hit. I really do. I think non-pandemic, this would have been a hit. It's like Juan was saying, it's something new, original. It's exactly what people are begging for at the box office. So, but I just think, yeah, with that HBO Max release, that killed it. Maybe the next couple of weeks with not really that much coming out, it might have a second win. Maybe. So, but we'll see. So let's talk, uh, let's point out some highlights of this thing, some some moments that we're just, we're talking about. Which is where we should point out, definite spoiler territory, because holy shit, this movie yeah, if you haven't caught on at this point, this is the spoilery show. This is yeah. the one that spoils new movies, talks about them at length. It's your fault at this point. We're we're deep into this show. Or I have to say that because holy shit, this movie. First off, this movie, Juan has always, someone pointed out Juan's always had a bit of camp in his films, but this is by far his most campiest film he's made, and I mean that in the absolutely best way possible because he full on embraces it from the opening shot all the way to the end. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's got to for a concept this this wackadoodle. He's got to, you know, approach it with some levity, or else it's too it's too much. I mean, you can't t- this. You can't take something like this too seriously. Uh, you gotta you gotta laugh at it. Like, holy yeah. shit, she's got a killer twin in her head that can warp her reality, control electricity, and gives her super strength. Okay. Right. Here we go. And I feel like he does all this perfectly in the very beginning of the film. 
like before the title sequence when he has like that really over the top action sequence of like you know they're trying to contain whatever it's going on and she's like we have to kill the cancer like they're really cheesy like immediately you're like okay this is not a super serious this is a meant i'm meant to have fun with this i'm meant to get on the ride and just enjoy it and then as soon as the title sequence credits it really hammers it home then with the choice of music and everything like this is not a conjuring film this is not in this isn't even saw this is something different and you're either on board or you're not this is um i think if you're going to compare this to any of his films it's dead silence yeah i can yeah it's going back to that camp that he i felt like it's almost like he he sees it at that song kind of has like a cult following around it now. And he's yeah. like, how can I go back to that and get that camp back? And I feel like whereas the reason it didn't take off for Dead Silence because that was his second film. Like like he said, he was a Saw guy. He gave us Saw. So people didn't want Dead Silence. But now he's established. He's branched out of the genre. That he, he has the clout. He has the ability to go back and do something like this. And people will be a lot more on board with it. And also, you know, the way he kind of shrouds this thing in the, at the beginning keeps you in the dark for most of the film on what exactly Gabriel is. When we saw like a little glimpse of him in the beginning, I'm, I immediately thought, oh, shit, he's an alien. Like, that's what I thought. I thought like, oh, this is an alien. But no, nah, it's in, you know, conjoined twin kind of. It's, yeah. I thought for a second when they went there, I'm like, oh, fuck, he's going to rip off the unborn. But nope. He did not. I'm very happy. No. He did. I thought it was like the ghost of a twin that died in, in the womb, but no, it's not. I so I didn't I didn't call the twist completely. I remember watching it going like, okay, it's gonna be a twin. I mean that's as far as it got with what I was saying. Like it's a twin, somehow a twin's involved in this. That part I was right on. But everything else, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought it was gonna be a demon. The set, you know, when she kept saying, you know, Gabriel was the devil. I kept thinking like she was possessed by a demon as a kid or something like that. But this was way worse. I mean, in a, in a good way, like way worse for her. <laughs> Just to have a fucking ball of like vengeful pent up evil in your head that awakens when your husband throws you into a fucking wall while you're pregnant. And has and- fed on your fucking fetuses. Jesus. <laughs> Hence the miscarriages. Good Lord, man. Uh, <laughs> um, one thing I was kind of bummed out about, I didn't really think it was that scary. I, okay, yeah, I've been seeing that a lot. I don't, but I feel like with this one, because he was going to the campy territory, he wasn't wanting it to be nearly as scary. Mm-hmm. I think it was meant to have scary scenes. There were some definitely like classic transmon tension scenes. I never got the feeling that this was meant just because of how he was doing everything else, like the editing and the direction and the story. I, to me, this was not meant to be scary. This was meant to be a, a fun thrill ride. And so for me, I, I was okay with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just, with the marketing and everything, it was billed as this scary, you know, it's James Wan's new horror movie, like buckle up, you know, it made you, made me think like, Oh, this is going to be freaky. And mm-hmm. It was more campy. And while it was good, I was just, I was hoping to be scared. But I think that's the marketing. I want to blame the movie. I blame the marketing. But at the same time, I think that's smart. The marketing did that. They were like, they probably looked at this movie like, we have to sell this somehow to people. <laughs> <laughs> this is not. Yeah, good point. 
this is not the James Bond movie we were we're used to here. So you imagine you're the guy, you know, you've been producing the conjuring movies, you've been getting this like steady cash cow since 2013. The guy comes back to do horror movies and he gives you this weird shit with a conjoined twin that with superpowers that can fight like a ninja. And you're like, oh okay. <laughs> um ideas. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that I'm sure they had a tough time, but again, like the movie itself, because he goes so camping with it, I don't think it was meant to be scary. I really don't think on his part he was trying to make the next fear. For, again, he like I said he was trying to reinvent himself. So I don't think he was really trying to go super scary. I think he was like, I just want to make my campy film. And like you say, if you had kind of pay attention to some of his earlier films, there's camp in a lot of his earlier films. Yes. He's directed like it. It's always been there. I just feel like he's finally at a point where he was allowed to just go full on with it. True. Oh, excuse me. Um, I loved the bit in the um, Seattle underground when um, Serena, the, the real mom, is kidnapped. And the whole bit with her, and you don't really know where she is, and then she fucking falls through the roof, through the ceiling while they're talking in the living room. That was so that was so smart and so neat. <laughs> yeah, because the whole time I was like, where the fuck does he have her? Like, what is going on? Um question. How co- how come when Madison was in the interrogation room, how was Gabriel able to call them? I don't know, because he called plenty well, he called plenty of times before that, remember? He called her in the bathroom. Yeah, but he, she was in the room with them. Okay. And he's the- he's right, he's there, he's behind her. Yeah, but he also did it in the bathroom and it was just her and she never picked up on it, remember? No, I'm saying like, how could the cops not pick up on it? I don't know, because he's talking, well, I mean, he's talking through the phone. Yeah, but how's he holding the phone? He's right there. He's using her body, remember? At the moment, but shouldn't she have a phone then? Calling that phone? No, he's just using her phone, like just using her phone already on her. But where? Like he's in the room. He's there. Full technology. I, uh, all right, I can't win this one. <laughs> no, you just need to go along for the ride. <laughs> I can't. Some of this shit doesn't make sense. I mean. That you're, the sister would just stumble onto the right box in the, in the basement of the, fu- about, in the file room and her about, file would be the first one in the box. I want to point out, you're talking about minute, nonsensical details in a movie or we're led to believe it's possible to have a twin attached to the back of your body that's per evil. They have to remove him, but they jam some of him into her brain, basically, where he can then control her thoughts and body and become superhuman, but these minor details are too much for you. <laughs> I love in the elaborate surgery that they're basically just like shoving him into the skull, <laughs> like like a fucking you know box in the attic that you're just gonna forget about. I like half expected one to just like fucking body slam him in there. <laughs> one <laughs> foot, there. one foot on her chest, just like trying to get some leverage. <laughs> Little bit comes out her eye. They push it back in. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> I, 
I really enjoyed the gore in this movie because technically, while Saw has become known for its gore, James Bond's Saw original film, not that gory. And anything else he's directed, not that gory. Minus Destin's. Destin's fucking let the blood fly. Um, I was really impressed like with a lot of the gore. Like, it wasn't elaborate kills, but just seeing James Bond not hold back to the point that like the couple of people that are in the theater of me like were responding to it. Like going, oh my god! <laughs> he just shows all of it. He does not let, hold back on any of the death scenes. Yeah, I mean, just like when Gabriel would just snap people's arms like that and just like stab him in the face. It, I just, it's weird that he just like becomes a fucking ninja in the police station where he's just you know jumping around, dodging bullets, and throwing shit at perfectly accuracy backwards. Like, what is? What the fuck? That's what makes him terrifying. He's a ninja. Ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. I liked when you know she took control of her own body after the sisters like she killed your children and she had this like you motherfucker moment. Like that was nice. Yeah, I like how he tricks us. Like when you see the sister get shot, and I was like, oh shit, is he going for like the darkest ending possible? And then it's revealed she had gained power, was able to warp his reality. And I was like, oh, shit. I really liked how they would do the reality shit in the movie, like that you would see the walls and everything come off. Like literally like a break in reality was happening. Yeah, that was impressive. Uh, You know, that wasn't CGI either. You're fucking with me. That was definitely CGI. James Wan went to Sweden and convinced a scientist to show him how to make a break in reality. And then he used it for the film. And it really shows. That's dedication right there. That was really good CGI in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was good CGI. Uh, (laughs) One part that I found unforgivable, that I just was like, how the fuck, is when she finally takes control of Gabriel, and then he like goes back into her head, and her fucking skull seals shut. Like, they locked him away in some magical way. Yeah. he was literally doing it throughout the movie. How? Her sk- he has mind powers. God. He was doing it throughout the movie. Maybe she would have blood on the pillow and stuff because he was doing it constantly. So he can just heal the back of her head whenever he needs to do it. Yeah. God, this you, is why you gotta you give these films so much like slack. It's crazy. I can't do that. Yeah, because I can enjoy the ride. Because I can get on the, the train and just enjoy it. I can enjoy it, too. I just have issues. And also, I, I don't nitpick things when I'm watching a movie that with this kind of plot. And I'm just like, I'm not going to question whatever the fuck happens in this movie. Oh, my God. She's going to prison. She's surrounded by dead cops. There's no one to back her up. The two, the two cops who witnessed Gabriel are never going to... No one's going to believe them. And... But, it's kind of a bleak ending. We'll find out in Malignant too. The next James Bond franchise. <laughs> He's going to be the Malignant guy. Going to have to reinvent himself in five years. And go even crazier. Um, I did, like, look, you have to agree on this one. The whole actual, like, scene of, like, the police station and when she was locked up and it's getting revealed, the actual what the fuck is going on and Gabriel comes out was awesome. Like, awesomely shot 
amazing to watch. I was so in on that whole sequence. I'll give you that. I will give you that. I thought it was interesting and really rather oddly uh, timely about uh, their mother being 15, getting raped and having the baby, considering what's going on in Texas right now. Yeah. Uh, like maybe this would have been, you know, this is a good movie to kind of support abortion. <laughs> just play this movie. Just be like, look, this is why abortion should be allowed. And then just play malignant. Just be like, yeah. is that what you want? Some babies are a cancer and they don't deserve to be here. Wow. And I, you thought my comment was offensive to people. <laughs> I've seen many episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't want Wanda Sykes breathing down my neck. <laughs> Whereas I firmly believe that in cases of rape, yeah, you should not have to carry that baby. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm very against what Texas was like. Yeah, this is what we're doing now. Ah, ah. Just weird that with all that happening, there'd be a movie like this that comes out that directly is the result of not having an abortion. It, I don't know. Um, decent flick. I give it an eight. Anything else you want to bring up? I gave it a nine. I love this film. Unlike your little nitpicks, I was able to just enjoy the ride and go on this. I I am sad that because the HBO Max release, it's not going to be like the huge shit that I do think it would be with how people are talking about it. James Ron has truly become one of the biggest names in fucking porn. And how the fact that he was willing to do this film as a fan for the fans, no one apparently told him no on anything. He did it his way. I fucking, I'm in love with this movie. I will be watching it again before it leaves HBO Max. I'll be buying it day one. Remember early on in the Filmgasm podcast when I called him the next Wes Craven and you got on my ass for it? No, I just said you can't compare. <laughs> that was a compliment. It was a compliment. God damn it. <laughs> I can't have anything. I can't, I can't do anything right when it comes to horror with, with, with you guys. <laughs> just like more movies. I'm doing my best. Enjoy Chialos. Let go of your, your need for plot and structure. Let it go. Let it go. Oh my God. <laughs> Says the guy who rode my ass for weeks when I said I didn't like Pitch Black. Well, that's because you lied to me originally. All those years ago, I said you liked it. Had you not lied to me? I did not lie to you. I engaged I in a campaign of disinformation. You so you lied. I don't don't pull your political politician shit into this. I tried to make you feel better. Fuck me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had you not lied, I would have been indifferent to that, to my feelings. Uh, let it go. No, move on. Move. Fuck on. <laughs> when you can accept movies with very little plot structure i will move on sir i can't do it regardless of genre if a film has no plot structure i'm not gonna like it well then it looks like both of us aren't moving on now is it oh my god well thanks for listening everyone <laughs> next week we got a super wide variety of films to choose from we got cry macho clint eastwood's new drama on hbo max blue bayou uh immigration drama uh that's actually getting pretty mixed reviews i'm surprised at that uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I'm intrigued about. Uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland, 
which is looking wacky and very well received by critics. Um, Cop Shop, also getting pretty decent reviews. Wait, wait, is Prisoners of Ghostland really getting pretty decent reviews from critics? It's got a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Yeah, this, it might be our, our main if we can both get it. Cage is really on a good uphill swing. I'm loving it. Uh, Cop Shop, we got that too. And also My Son on Peacock, which we talked about today. So I am actually excited for all of these movies. So I'm going to try my hardest to see them. It's going to be tough. I'll try to see a good chunk of them. For sure, Cop Shop, because that looks good to me. And for sure, Prisoners Ghostland, because I have already talked about how much, how excited I am for this movie. So I'm hoping I can rent at least some of these on, on Voodoo or Prime. I really don't want to have to do the theater for all of these movies. It's a lot. It's a lot of gas. Um, don't miss the 2014 ghost thriller Last Shift on Wednesday's Filmgasm and the 1995 Nicolas Cage drama Leaving Las Vegas on Oscar Sunday. Have a great week and keep watching movies.